Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church and OCCathome.com. We are so glad you're here. At OCC, our mission is to invite people to take their next steps with Jesus. And so we pray that through our time together, you're encouraged and challenged to move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, everybody. It's great to see you all. Well, we're in the final two weeks of this message series, and we're going to get in this series up through Acts chapter 12, and then Lord willing, we'll pick up this series in the fall 2021 for Acts 13 and on. But before I dive into this message, I want to let you know about more, a little bit more about our holiday service schedule first, and Christina made that announcement, December 20th, family Christmas service. We're really excited about that right here, lots of singing, real interactive experience then we're online only on December 27th. And so the Sunday after Christmas will be completely online. There'll be no live gatherings that weekend. Here's why. Our volunteers, so many of you, pull together a giant effort every Sunday evening. And so, so that we can really enjoy this time together and all of our volunteers can get some rest and refreshment uh, which you've been so faithful and so flexible. We thank you so much. Uh, I want to show you briefly a time lapse of our setup process, uh, both here these last couple of months as we've sort of pivoted to this outdoor space and even our old space at Orange Terrace. So take a look at the screens. So it takes, a, it takes a lot of people to build what we do on a Sunday evening out here. And it's real challenging because it's so dark. And so, especially on the teardown side, we just both set up teardown along with our Kids Zone volunteers. We opened up Kids Zone a couple of weeks ago for ages five and under. And just want to say thank you to our volunteers. We are so, so appreciative of the way you serve our church family. And because of that, we really do want to encourage you to get some rest. And so on the 27th, everything will be online for that weekend. So you can take a slower weekend and enjoy uh, Christmas and just even uh, that being, uh, I think Christmas is on a Friday, falls on a Friday. And so now we've spent almost 100 days in this initiative called Church Now. And our focus and our aim has been to really reactivate our church's full participation after nearly six months of being completely online and, and feeling probably for many people, disconnected, and, and, and we're nearing the end of this 100-day focus, and so it's been called Church Now, and you're probably wondering, okay, Church Now what? What do we do next? We said 100 days, now what do we do? And so I want to tell you what is being planned so far. This church, East Hills Community Church, has graciously extended their offer to allow us to continue to to meet here. And so we've been able to meet here since mid-September every Sunday night. And they use, obviously, their their uh, their space in the morning on Sundays. And they said pretty much in the afternoon or evening, we can use this space. And so they've been really, really kind and gracious. And so our plan is uh, to continue to meet here in the spring of 2021. And so January the 3rd, some other things I want to tell you about. January 3rd will be 
opening up, or will be, they have opened up their, their building so that we can use the classrooms inside. And so, beginning January 3rd, our little ones, ages 5 and under, can begin using the classrooms. That's really good news. Uh, kids can be warm, uh, secure in classrooms, and you'll, you'll learn more about uh, the process, and Stephanie, our kids' own director, will make sure to communicate with all the families. So if that applies to you, you'll, you'll learn more. And then, Lord willing, two weeks after that, on January 17th, our plan is to open our full kids' zone, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, full kids' zone. So January 17th, we know there's a lot of people. That this, this just hasn't uh, worked for everybody because... And I know a lot of you that have younger kids, it's just really difficult to be able to focus in this time. And so uh, I, I asked several people, hey, how much do you think you're taking away from a typical Sunday night? And I'm hoping for, you know, 50%, 60%. Some of the parents were like, 10% on a good day? <laughs> so I'm thinking, oh, boy. So, you know, we have opened up part of Kids Zone. We're going to open up the rest of Kids Zone January 17th, and we have 10 different classes that we can use inside, and we're working out the breakdown and kids' own teacher plan. Uh, I think if our children can be inside and warm, then us adults can endure the weather. As, as best as we can tell, most people are still very, very grateful for this space to meet and for the opportunity for us to be able to gather again, right? And so we, yeah, that's right. Let's all just thank the Lord. Because we really believe this is just provision from God. And as we keep moving forward, God keeps providing. And this space, pray for, and just thank God for East Hills Community Church. They've been so kind to us. Now, back in September, when we rolled out our Church Now plan, you know, we, we, we formed a plan and we said, we want to get people moving again on important practices so that they can be growing because it's just not good for us to really shut down for so long and so it was a real helpful part to church life to be able to reinvigorate our spiritual growth and and for people to begin to and it it takes sort of like you have to stretch out after you're not doing a whole lot spiritually not saying that you didn't do anything in those six months but it, it was a very different experience and for some maybe there was Points of it that was really refreshing. Other parts, it was just really, really isolating the whole time, and you couldn't wait to get back. But wherever you were at, we just knew, you know, God is He's commanded us to to get together, to gather, to have fellowship with one another. And so we've been just aiming to, even through those six months, we were really encouraging people to have fellowship with one another uh, because it's so important to keep obeying the Lord. But part of our church now, it was this plan. We wanted to form a plan, and God, he is not against plans. You can actually trust God and be a planner. So if you're a planner, God's not against you. Some of you are planners. You like to plan everything out. If you're a planner, God's not against you. He interacts with your plans. He interacts with our plans as a church. Take a look at these verses. Proverbs 16, great chapter on planning and decision-making. So Proverbs 16.1 says, To man belongs the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. So God is interacting with our plans. We set plans, God replies. Proverbs 16, verse 3, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. Whoa, almost fell off the back of the stage. Of course, you can't see that, though. Verse 9, 
in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. So over and over and over we see you can make plans and God is he's interacting with our plans. We made a decision back in the late summer to begin making plans to meet again and to gather again. And then we were praying over our plans, knowing full well that God would interact with us. He would lead us and he would direct us at specific points and he'd show us the next few steps. And we are so grateful that we've been seeing that unfolding. One thing we didn't want to do in this season was just to sort of shut down and freeze in fear or bury our head and waste this entire fall and winter season. Because as you know, we have to constantly, we've had to combat the messages and the bad news. And so our focus has been to not drop the basics of spiritual growth, like getting into the word, getting into prayer, doing ministry and evangelism, having fellowship. Those are core aspects, disciplines of a growing and obedient Christ follower. And so we're going to be dripping more of our spring 2021 plans because there's more than just what I've announced about Kid Zone, but there's more coming that we'll make you aware of as soon as we're able. But we're excited that God continues to open up opportunities for us as a church. So last week we were in Acts chapter 9, so let's get back into Acts, the book of Acts, fifth book of the New Testament, lays out the Christian, the growth and the expansion of the Christian movement from pretty much after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. You see the expansion going from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so we've been looking chapter by chapter at this story of Christianity. Last week in Acts 9, we focused on the turnaround of Saul, who goes from persecutor of Christians to primary pioneer of the Christian movement. And at the end of chapter 9, the story shifts from Paul or Saul to Peter. So in Acts chapter 10, we've got Peter comes up again. Peter, one of the three closest disciples to Jesus. He was really part of an inner circle that was able to really be even closer and spend the most amount of time up close with Jesus. Peter was a fisherman. He was a hardworking, rough around the edges fisherman. I think he would have been fun to hang out with. I think it would have been sort of like, what's Peter going to do next? Because he, he was unpredictable, it seemed like, at points. He would have kept you on your toes if he was one of your close friends. But just before Jesus goes to the cross, Peter declares his allegiance and his, his loyalty to Jesus. But then in the moment of testing, he denies that he even knows Jesus. And this is a, a major moment. Peter denies Christ. Then after the resurrection, it says that Peter's embarrassed, and and Jesus, what does he do? Jesus graciously restores Peter. And Peter becomes one of the primary leaders of the church, and you see him all through the book of Acts. And in the early chapter of, of Acts, we see Peter being empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he's preaching to crowds, and thousands of people are responding because God was drawing their hearts. But Peter was this key instrument and tool and people started yielding their lives to Jesus. So that's that's Peter. Now, Acts 9, again, we talked about Saul and his conversion. Saul, we know him by his Hebrew, or by his Greek name, Paul, but Saul is his Hebrew name. But Saul, his focus would be on reaching the Gentile nations of the world. 
he he is primarily the character that God uses to get the word of Christianity, to get the message out to the ends of the earth. While Peter would focus primarily on the lost sheep of Israel, Peter would focus on the Jews who were steeped in tradition, still working to make themselves right in God's eyes through ritual and through tradition. That's, that's Peter's focus. And in those days, this is really important to understand, there was a lot of tension between the Jews and between the Gentiles. The Jews were surrounded by pagan, worldly cultures, other nations, and the Jews, if you know this, you know, they prided themselves in the fact that they were God's chosen people, and so they separated themselves from all the other nations. And they would draw lines of distinction to keep themselves separate. And there were some core dividing issues for them that served as a major barrier between them and the, the rest of the world. And some of those issues are like holiness. They, they saw themselves as holy and others as unholy. There were certain things that were holy and things that were unholy. There were, there were clean animals, items, people, and then there were unclean animals, items, people. They, were, they saw themselves as righteous. They saw the rest of the nations as wicked or evil. And so these were barriers that really divided the Jews from the rest of the world. And Jesus, he came on the scene and he broke down the dividing wall of hostility that stood between the Jews and the nations, the rest of the world. And Jesus, in fact, in his life and in his ministry, he had all of these interactions with sinners and tax collectors and and Samaritans and the party crowd and the lost. He just spent time with the people who really needed him. And that made sense in theory that Jesus did that. But that was still a major barrier to overcome in reality. And so in Acts chapter 10, as we'll see, God begins to deal more directly with this barrier. And he begins by starting with Peter, one of the key leaders. Peter himself is now a Jewish. He's a Jewish man, but he's a Jewish Christian now. But God decides to start with him and to to set up this huge perspective shift. Peter's about to have a huge aha moment. And so remember, God's plan is to reach the whole world. Again, to the ends of the earth. Sounds good if you're God, and that's your plan. But that's still a huge shift for the Jews who'd become Christians. And so we've seen outsiders in the book of Acts beginning to be reached. We see this progression happening. Samaritans were reached because a lot of the Christians had to flee Jerusalem and they scattered in one of the places they went was to Samaria and it set up for people to respond in Samaria. There were people embracing Christ in that region. A couple of weeks ago we saw an Ethiopian man come and we saw him reach and he was able to respond to Christ and then he, you know, he goes and he leaves and he takes the gospel back to North Central Africa, where he's from. And we see the movement of Christianity. But now here's another significant Gentile conversion. So with that, let's look at parts of Acts chapter 10. You can read Acts 11 on your own. But Acts 10, let's look at this. It says, there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. So Cornelius, 
He's a centurion. He's responsible for about a hundred soldiers. Centurion, you can, you can, he, he's got a scope of responsibility. The Romans, they had, they had legions, so massive groups of people for their armies. The centurions controlled a hundred of the Roman soldiers. So this man, he lived in a coastal city. He seemed to be a good man. It describes him as a God-fearing, generous man. Then it says in verse 3, about 3 in the afternoon, this man Cornelius, he distinctly saw in a vision an angel of God who came and said to him, Cornelius, staring at him in awe, he said, what is it, Lord? The angel told him, your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, not like a body tanner, not a tanning salon, works with animals, okay, tanning animals, whose house is by the sea. Verse 7, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier who was one of those who had attended him. After explaining everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So Cornelius has this vision. God speaks to him through an angel. He, he takes this as the Lord speaking to him through this angel. He says, what is it, Lord? I mean, he, he, he recognizes this is the God moment for him. And God says, hey, or this angel says, God hears your prayers. He sees your deeds. And he has a message for you. You need to send for this other person named Peter. And so Cornelius sets that up. He sends some of his own servants to get Peter. So what we learn about Cornelius so far is he's a good man. He's, he's devout. He's God-fearing. He's generous. He's a praying man. So essentially you would say Cornelius is a moral person. He's, he seems to have high character. He's, he's got a basic God-fearing belief. But... Cornelius was without Christ's forgiveness. There's a lot of people like Cornelius in our world. And no doubt, there's, there's probably some folks like Cornelius here tonight. Maybe you'd say, you know, I, I'm God-fearing. Maybe you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, but you say, you know, I believe in God. Maybe you're a moral person. Cornelius was, he was a moral person. He was a good man. Maybe you're generous. Maybe you're helpful. Maybe you're respectful. These days, a real common belief in our culture is that it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you believe it with all your heart. But here's the problem. Something was missing with Cornelius. His faith, his spiritual life was incomplete. He was good, but he wasn't good enough. And so, as, as Cornelius is moving towards God, God kept giving this man more light on the path so that he could hear the life-changing, eternal message of Jesus and be saved for all eternity. And God's plan was to use Peter to show Cornelius his next step. So that's, let's shift to Peter. Okay, here's how Peter comes into the story. Verse 9, the next day, as they were traveling and nearing the city, so Remember, Cornelius sends three people to go find Peter. So as they're traveling and nearing the city, the city of Joppa, Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon. Common time to pray. 
goes up on, on the rooftop noontime. He became hungry and wanted to eat. Now, I don't know about you. Some of you came tonight and you thought, you know, I should have eaten before church. And the funnel cakes, they smell so good. You know, maybe that was Peter. He's, he's getting ready to go and pray and then his hunger hits him. And he, he, he wants to eat. So he becomes hungry, he wants to eat. But while they were preparing something, it says he fell into a trance. Verse 11, he saw heaven opened and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. And in it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. And a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. So Peter gets this vision and God speaks to him and tells him to eat, except the menu is really confusing to Peter. You know, reptiles of the earth, birds of the sky, four-footed animals. Look what he says in verse 14. No, Lord, Peter said, for I have never eaten anything impure and ritually unclean. So according to Jewish law, these were off limits. These, these creatures, these birds, these reptiles, these are off limits. Shouldn't eat unclean animals, Peter. This is his tradition. So he tells the Lord, what does he say to the Lord? No. No, Lord. Wait, what, Peter? How does that fit together? No, Lord. <laughs> Can you even say that? No, Lord. He argues with God. Now, this is a familiar scene in Scripture. There's a prophet in the Old Testament. Remember the guy named Jonah? God says, I have an assignment for you. I want you to go to this city called Nineveh. He, tells, he essentially says, no, Lord, I ain't going. God told Jonah, go to Nineveh. Nope. He, he hops on a ship and he goes the other direction. Now, Peter's sort of doing the same thing here. No, Lord, this is really interesting. By definition, the word Lord, the Greek kurios, it just means master or Lord. It means the one in authority. It means the boss, the master. You don't argue with the master. You don't argue with the boss. You say what to the boss? Yes. You're the boss. Yes, Lord. It's interesting. Even, even Cornelius. What is it, Lord? What do you, what do you want, Lord? I mean, he's responsive. That's the right response to the Lord. Peter, no, Lord. Look at verse 15. Again, a second time, the voice said to him, what God has made clean, do not call impure. This was the major issue. Clean versus unclean. All of Peter's traditions... Right now, they're all coming to his mind, and everything inside is telling him, this isn't right. Don't do it. You can't do it. It's off limits. See, tradition seems impossible to break from, doesn't it? It reminds me of the different criticisms I've heard as a pastor. Usually, the criticisms are tied to deeply held traditions. This is how it should be done at church. I've heard... 
you know, people should be wearing this or that at your church. I notice people don't tuck in their shirts at your church. Or I notice you don't wear slacks when you preach. Do you need some money for slacks? I actually had somebody, do you need some money? I'm happy to buy you some slacks. <laughs> I thought, I could afford slacks if I wanted to wear them. <laughs> If, I, if I'm wearing slacks, I'm doing a wedding or a funeral. Or I'm at a wedding or a funeral. But there's a tradition of how you need to dress that some people have said, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think I agree with that. Or, or maybe it's the size of your Bible. Or the presence of a Bible. And for some, this has been the issue. I don't see a lot of Bibles at your church. Remember the first Sunday we had, there was a guy that had a massive Bible. And I couldn't remember his name, but I said, Big Bible Guy. Because we were trying to figure out who came. And I said, did anybody meet Big Bible Guy? Yeah, I met him. I met him. Yep, okay. He seemed to be really engaged. Okay, well, we should follow up with Big Bible Guy. You know, and I don't know if it was the fact that there wasn't a lot of Big Bibles, but he didn't come back to much longer. But, you know, there's some, some of you that had, you might bring a little Bible. And that's okay. You might have a massive study Bible, and that, that's okay. You know, you might have your Bible on your device, and that's okay. You might bring an iPad, a phone that has a Bible. You might not have a Bible because you might be here and you're just exploring, and that's okay. But for some, the tradition is, well, it needs to be this way. You better bring a big Bible. And we just said, well, that, that's not the core issue because we're going to teach from the Bible, and people are exploring. Or it might be the certain style of teaching or the style of worship and on and on and on. For Peter, the core issue that that God was about to shift in his perspective is the traditions that separated the Jews from the Gentiles. And the main question for the Jewish Christians, if they were really honest, was this. Their big question was, can a Gentile... Can all of these other nations around us, all these other people groups, can they really be saved like we are? You see, because the Jewish Christians thought, we can certainly be saved. We're God's chosen people. He sent the Messiah, Jesus, to us. But can these people really be saved? We know, we know the commission that Jesus said, but is that really going to happen? And God's saying to Peter, look, Peter, I determine... Who and what is clean? In fact, I can make anything clean. And that's really good news for us. That God can, can do the cleaning. That's, isn't that great news? So it says in verse 16, this happened three times. Peter oftentimes has these experiences come in threes, okay? You probably picked up on that if you've, if you read some of Peter's story, but, so this happens three times and suddenly, the object was taken up into heaven. So God uses this vision. It's a very strange setup, but this gets Peter's attention. Meanwhile, let's, let's move through the text a little faster. Verse 17. While Peter was deeply perplexed about what the vision he had seen might mean, right away the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon's house, stood at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was also named Peter, was lodging there. While Peter was thinking about the vision that the Spirit told him, 
The Spirit told him, three men are here looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, go with them with no doubts at all, because I have sent them. Then Peter went down to them and said, here I am. I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason you're here? Verse 22, they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who has a good reputation with the whole Jewish nation, was divinely directed by a holy angel to call you to his house and to hear a message from you. Peter then invited them in and gave them lodging. Now that's unheard of. Peter invites in these Gentiles for the night. Christ is really changing Peter. It says the next day he got up, he set out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went with him. The following day, and that's that's a couple days. It, it's not a quick like um, across the street. Okay, he's got to head to the coast. He's he is. Uh, this takes effort. But it says the next day he got up, set out with them. Some of the brothers from Joppa went with him. The following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So this crowd, of course, is all part of God's plan to extend his kingdom further and further. This is how the message of Christ most often advances from life to life. Verse 25. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him. Look at Cornelius' response. He fell at his feet and he started worshiping Peter. Cornelius hits the deck. And he begins to worship Peter. Now this happened to Paul in Acts chapter 14. When the people that he was preaching to in a city called Lystra thought that Paul and Barnabas, these two missionaries, were gods. And so they start, they're almost ready to offer sacrifices to Paul. And Paul has to stop them and he tells them, hey, we're just people. So in a very similar way, look at Peter's response. But Peter lifted him up and he said, stand up. I myself am also a man. Peter says, don't worship me. Let me tell you who is worthy of all of your worship. So while while talking with them, he went in, he found a large group or a large gathering of people. And Peter said to them, you know, it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. But God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. That's why I came without any question when I was sent for. So may I ask you why you so may I ask why you sent for me? Verse 30 says, Cornelius replied, 4 days ago at this hour at 3 in the afternoon I was praying in my house. Just then a man in dazzling clothing stood before me and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, your acts of charity have been remembered in God's sight. Therefore send someone to Joppa and invite Simon here, who is also named Peter. He's lodging in Simon the, Simon the Tanner's house by the sea. So I immediately sent for you, and it was good of you to come. So now we are all in the presence of God to hear everything you've been commanded by the Lord. Essentially, Cornelius says, so that's my story, and we're all ears. Verse 34, Peter began to speak. Here's what he said. Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation... The person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. This is Peter's big aha moment when he says these statements. This is this big, the light bulbs totally come on and he just says, I get it. God doesn't show favoritism. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. This is Peter's 
perspective shift. And he's about to give Cornelius the opportunity to, t- to, make, to take the next step to eternal life. And then Peter just begins to preach the gospel. It's an amazing sermon. You could read, if you'd like to read the rest of the text on your own, I'd encourage you to do that. It's an amazing sermon. It's, it, it, it gets, and I say amazing, because it just gets to the heart of Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection. They all respond. They all receive the Holy Spirit, just like the church did in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit came upon the church. They have the same filling of the Spirit. And they all got baptized. And eventually, Peter heads to Jerusalem. And no one believes him. He says, the Gentiles have become Christians. And, and, and they, they're, no, there's no way. They're, they're unclean. They don't bring the big Bibles. They don't tuck in their shirts. They don't wear the slacks. And they didn't, they, I think they didn't want to believe Peter. So you have to check out chapter 11. And he just says, let me tell you what happened. And he shares the story about Cornelius. And eventually they all arrive at the same conclusion. Essentially they say, well, I guess Gentiles really can become Christians. Huh. Now here's two takeaways from Peter's perspective shift. The first one is this. God's role for Peter looked different than Paul. This may seem really obvious, but it's important to understand. His role, Peter's role, was primarily to work from within the establishment. Peter worked from within Judaism. He seemed to be most effective at challenging people steeped in tradition. He was helping church people grow. He was challenging them to train. He was preparing them to go the distance in what would be a very, very difficult journey in the first century for Christians. He was getting them ready to endure a lot of suffering. Paul, on the other hand, was a missionary moving from place to place to place, and he was uh, he was more effective at sharing with outsiders in, in pioneering and starting new works. Some people stay and build and, and train those in Jerusalem, while some would go out and pioneer new works. And as a church, it's important to understand this. We want to be both we want to be both deep and wide in our ministry approach. There really should be a dual focus for churches. If you decide to, to really link arms with us over a long period of time, expect to be a person who keeps this in mind because we're going to try to take people deep in their faith and wide in their outreach to others. And I, I love how you see the sort of the, the different roles and how the ministry of Peter and Paul, they really look different. Different. Some of you may be really wired to focus and to really help people grow and to make strides and experience breakthroughs. Some of you may be called by God to pioneer and to go out to launch in order to expand and multiply our efforts. And as we've studied so far through the early church, you really see the church focusing on both spiritual depth and then the widening, the branching out and making room including other people in this. And I'm sure some of you here will be with our church, working with us, reaching life to life to life here in this city and region, maybe even for the rest of your life. And you'll help us build up the church here. And some of you may go and leave at some point. Maybe God is training you here for a season, and God may call you out. And both roles 
Peter and Paul or those that go and those that stay and really help build. Both roles are valid and vital roles. And so Peter and Paul's stories remind us not to get fixated on the roles that other people's that other people have been assigned instead remain focused and faithful on what God has asked you to do right now and then be open through your whole life to letting God direct your steps I have a friend who's a church planter named John Wooster he's planted he's moved dozens of times and he's planted he's planted over a dozen churches and he's moved sometimes just to strengthen churches and leaders in cities to create church planting movements but that's been his assignment, and he's just been able, he's, he's taken his wife and kids and, and through the years moved along to plant churches. His kids are all raised, and now they're all leading in different ministries in different places. And sometimes I've looked at his assignment, I think, dude, that's really, that's really exciting. That looks like a lot of fun. But God made it really clear when we planted this church in 2007 that he was calling us to plant and stay and to, to create something that would be like a launch pad for people in the future. But many people are going to be here with us building this congregation and training and sending people. But I can quickly get restless if I get too fixated or start comparing. And then I get really unclear on my assignment. And the same is true for all of us. The second takeaway, I think, from Peter's perspective shift is, Admit your wrongs. In chapter 11, when Peter is criticized for sharing and doing ministry with the Gentiles, he shared how God highlighted his prejudices. He admitted his wrong and, and he made the, the tweaks. He made the adjustments. But this was going to be a process for Peter. At a certain point later, there's another point where Peter sort of gets off track again and starts having preferential treatment. And adding more work, and others in the church were adding more work for the Gentiles to come to Christ. Or after they came to Christ, there were certain things they were asking them to do that was really beyond what Jesus was saying needed to be done. And so Peter would need some later correction from Paul. But what I appreciate about Peter is he admits his wrong here. He says, I was wrong. God doesn't show favoritism. Jesus is Lord of all. And when we don't admit or we don't clear up our wrongs in life, what happens is we lose trust. We eventually find ourselves living a pretty isolated life. So this verse, Acts 10.34, Peter began to speak. Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism. So, you know, sometimes we can do this. Sometimes we can get married to some of our traditions. We start playing favorites. And I would just say, stop doing that. Repent. If, if God convicts you of playing favorites and not really being open to other people and and others from the outside coming to, to know Jesus Christ. Wrestle through that. Something tied to this passage to really consider is what barriers might be keeping any of us from embracing others outside the faith? What are those barriers? What are those distinctions that we might draw and allow to be a separating line? Do I unknowingly build walls up that keep newcomers from really being able to draw close to, to us? If I want to be part of the story that God is writing to reach people of all nations, then how am I really doing with this statement that Peter made about favoritism? 
whatever the barriers are, the barriers that exist, whether racial or age barriers or socioeconomic barriers, how, how is God speaking to you? What is he asking you to evaluate? This really help, helps us sort of wrap things up. A couple next steps. The first one is this. Identify the barriers in my life. Just like Peter, we, we hang on to some traditions. There's some, there's some, we can get stuck. And I don't know what the barriers are in your life. Maybe it's religious tradition barriers. Maybe it's age and style. Maybe it is a racial barrier. Maybe it's a friendship circle. Maybe it's your comfort, your convenience. I don't know what it is. But ask God to help you identify what that might be. And then second, ask God to help me share and invite people to hear the good news this Christmas season. Let's buy up the opportunity to team together to reach more this month. And on that note, Introducing new people has always been a major part of our mission. But in the next few years, I really believe that's going to probably be more and more evident because we bought property on a very, very visible high traffic corner. And so there'll be probably more people exploring OCC in the years ahead than we've even ever had just because of our visibility and that opportunity. So would you help us prepare the growth that God may be sending for us. The mission drives us forward, and that has really made sense to those who join this church and really pull into this church family. But if we made church life about just the insider, just those who have been reached and focused on just our comfort or just our little inner circle, then my sense is we would very quickly get off course as a church. But our commitment is really to to stay aligned with what's on God's heart. And that's the people that he came to reach. He came to reach people who are feeling the brokenness of this world, who are hurting, who may not be like you, who may not act like you, who may not look like you. We're all totally undeserving of God's forgiveness. When you think about it, totally undeserving. It truly is amazing grace. So let's thank him for it. If you are here tonight and you, you sense, you know, I'm like Cornelius. I, I, I'm, I'm God-fearing. I believe there's a God, but I don't think I have a personal relationship with him. And I want to know more about that. Uh, we would love to help you nail that down or even just answer your questions tonight. There's a prayer tent right beside the screen here. And if you stop by right after service or during the during the end here, we would love to just share with you and pray with you. Or, or if you just are here and you've got something weighing on you and you like some prayer, we have a team of volunteers that would love to, to spend some time praying for you. And let, let's all join together as we uh, as we offer up another prayer just to in response to the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your the truth of your word and how it cuts to the core issues of our lives and the things that we really challenge. God, we ourselves understand the struggle that Peter was facing. There, there was just some levels of comfort that you were challenging you were, you were shifting. You were, you were, as your church is advancing, 
we're all going to come up against our own struggles, our own barriers. And Father, I pray that we, like Peter, would would respond to you. And that it would be a quick response, Lord, that we would just say, yes, Lord. When God says, hey, I want you to reach out to this person, I want you to invite this person, or I want you to include this person, that we would just say, yes, Lord. Help us to be a congregation who says, yes, Lord. Lord, we pray for unity amongst our church in a very, very divided time. We thank you, Lord, for this this team, this church family. We thank you for this space. We praise you for your provision. In so many different areas of our lives, we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at occathome.com to learn more about how to connect with us. And join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast. Have a great day.